to the, uh, the Kids Own Kids for uh, sharing with us that song. You might not think that a genealogy is worth it, uh, but as we have been looking at over the last couple of weeks, the genealogy can make or break uh, for a lot of people. And so we're grateful that they were able to share that with us and uh, the wonder of really the story told over and over again. In fact, have you ever, ever thought about that with your kids or grandkids? You're right, you're, you're reading a story and you, you just wanna, you wanna expedite the process toward bed. So you skip something. And what do they say? No, 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 you've messed something. What is it about story that it just affixes to our hearts, right? I mean, they know when we're like trying to, well, maybe they don't know that we're trying to get them to bed sooner, but they definitely know when we skipped a page or two or attempting to, right? It's the same with us. I think every year, this is the wondrous thing about our faith, is that whether it is Advent or whether it's Christmas, whether we move through Lent or uh, into Easter and Easter time, whatever it is, there's just something that's kind of written, scripted on our hearts that we can't deny. And it's a beautiful thing. And so I'm grateful for our kids' own uh, kids and the team to be able to help us out with that. Well, I want to give you, uh, I, I just want to lean into a couple of things. Be Christmas is our annual generous giving toward local and global mission partners. And as you saw, the Owsleys uh, are ones that we support, but we support several other people. And this is just one of those wonderful ways. Have you ever thought about you wanted to, wanted to make sure the people around the world knew about Jesus, but you can't be in every place? This is the way we do it, friends. This is the way we do it. We do it through, yep, generous giving and through prayer and through some definitive, definitive partnerships through the year. So I want you to consider. Uh, consider in this day when the good news came to you, wherever that was and whenever that was, that you want to make sure that the good news gets to someone else, someone across and around the world. So uh, I want you to consider that with us and and. I do want to lean in. Uh, Tammy's already invited you once, but if you were thinking you're just going to escape out those lobby doors and go on your merry way because you didn't bring anything, because you didn't feel invited, well, guess what? You're invited. I invite you. Even those of you who are online that live close, you're invited. You can make it. 1130, we're going to eat, and we want to, really, we want to feast and celebrate Jesus. He makes all the difference, right, for us and to us. Well, we are in a series that, we've, uh, that I've entitled, or it is entitled Roots, I didn't name it, uh, but it is through this series in the days of Advent. And again, I, I want to remind you what Advent means. Advent comes from this Latin word called, uh, and I'm going to mispronounce it, sorry Latin people out there, language people, Adventus, meaning coming. And so, during these days, we prepare for Jesus' coming as we moved forward toward the celebration of Jesus' birth, God with us, as we already heard, Emmanuel. Emmanuel. But this is the interesting thing about this story, is Jesus is from a people. As we are all from someone, uh, during, the, uh, during Advent and Christmas, we tend to uh, think about family, don't we? Uh, uh, just uh, about a week ago, right? Man, it seemed gratitude into Advent, into Christmas, it just kind of flows. Uh, Thanksgiving, that is. Uh, 
a few weeks ago, people were like, oh, your girl's with you? This is for Thanksgiving. Well, you know, because they know that those times are gathering times with family and with friends. I like how Dan Wilt has written this. He says, when we think of Christmas and the season of Advent that anticipates it, many of us think in family, don't we? Uh, That family, it's that strange mix of people. And maybe it's not so strange to you now. Maybe you're a few years older, but when you're young, it's strange, let me tell you. (laughs) The the people we call mothers, those aren't so strange. Fathers, sisters, brothers, uh, sometimes the cousins, the aunts, the uncles, grandparents, grand-grandparents, especially when they want to grab your cheeks, right? It's like, stop now, right? And even non-family members who aren't blood-related to us, but they feel as they could be. And that's what we talk about when we're talking about family. For we follow Jesus, who are all in the body of Christ, and we are all in this same family. In fact... It is a bond of blood through the blood of Christ that we're all together. In fact, I, I, I made this statement a week ago, is that we have more in common uh, with someone who lives far away from us, whether it's on the continent of Asia or it's in Africa, who knows and loves Jesus than we do with our neighbors, even though we live in the same culture. And I think we need to allow that to sink into us, Allow that reality of that blood-born family, Jesus, if you will, gives to us. Because it provides us with that spiritual lineage that often we look at our own family, but we need to look beyond our own family probably more often than we do. And it's a love and a faith that is bound us by a covenant-keeping God of the universe. We We say this, right? That God's a God of promises and he keeps his promises and he does, every one of them. It's this enduring connection to a people though, a people around the land. I don't know about you, but uh, you know, once you start reading the Bible and fall in love with Jesus, there's this wondrous attraction with uh, not only knowing him and living for him, but for many of us to go where he lived is one of those things, right? We, we have a, an affinity even for a land that is one that he trod on. It provides us with a, a sense of place, especially for those of us who love Jesus. We find ourselves a place in humanity, especially when we're out of step, and we should be out of step with culture around us. We shouldn't be living like them, uh, like others who do not know Jesus. Let's put it that way. That's probably better, Right? Because Jesus, as Kathy said earlier, uh, gave his life, he died, he resurrected and ascended, and he is our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, these days, are that's, that's what we lace these days with. That's what becomes the reminder of it. Every year is that we're bound to him and those who are looking for him, like the wise men, and maybe you're here today, and that's great, I'm glad you're here, are looking for that home that your heart can find. So Jesus comes to us from a people, uh, uh, coming to us from someone's. Now, let me take a little uh, side trip really quick, I hope, uh, just to kind of point out a couple of things we know. He comes from a people, uh, and Jesus is God's son. But we need to clarify a couple of things here that are very basic, not because he was born, uh, 
of a virgin and not because he was born originally. In fact, the Nicene Creed says it this way, uh, attempting to try to clear up some of this confusion about who Jesus was. And we may think the same thing. Oh, he's just a human man. Well, he is that, but more. It says this, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the begotten of the Father before all the worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being one of substance with the Father by whom all things were made. Eusebius, when he helped to pen this and they, they put it all together, they put it together so that we could grasp the nature of who God was, the nature of Jesus, who he was. And so we often see the word begotten, and if you were to go to your Webster's Dictionary, as I did this week, and I went, hmm, how does Webster's Dictionary define the word begotten? Now, you may not find some of this stuff curious or puzzling, but I think, I think what's interesting is that it is your offspring, it defines it as an offspring from a father, right? That's how it's defined. Yet, that's not what it means about Jesus. That Jesus always existed. So begotten, if you will, in the original language, we can get into that, and some others can get into it deeper than I can, but Michael Heiser says in his book, Unseen Realms, it's this word, this combination word that's put together that they use to translate it into English, really means unique or one of a kind. It does not mean, not, it's not born from or of. And we need to keep that clear. So while he comes to us as a people, he comes to us as God. Philippians 2, 6 and 7 says this, Who being the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Uh, We think of Jesus coming as a baby, and he did. But he willingly chose to come in that form for us. And Paul's attempting to bring to the Philippians and us today into a greater clarity about the nature of who Jesus is. And so often in our day, Jesus can be seen as just simply a man who did some really good things. Really great teaching, but not the Son of God and fulfilling humanity. In fact, in Luke chapter 2, verse 16, it says this, So they, the shepherds, hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. So not only is God divine, but he has this human nature, and we need to remember that. So he does come from a family line, yet he comes and inserts himself into a family line, if you will. One of his own making, Talk about mind-bending, right? He created them, and yet he joins them. Over and over again in the Christmas story and throughout Advent and throughout our whole history, this is God's great gift to us. It's one of the great gifts to us that he became like us, right? That he became like us. And these people, the people of Israel, So we jump into our text for today. 
That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed the ford at the Jabbok. And he had sent them across the stream, and he sent them over all his possessions. Now you need to know all this because it plays into what we're going to talk about. So Jacob was left alone, and the man wrestled with him until daybreak. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. This is what we need to see in this text, that Jesus comes from a line. Last week we talked about that he comes from the stump of Jesse, but even before that, he comes comes to us from a people who wrestle. Uh, Jacob is mentioned, along with his grandfather Abraham, in uh, in the genealogy that was just sung for us. Uh, Jacob, by all accounts, was a wrestler, a a resister, if you you will, kind of a a deceiver, always wanting to get his own way. And he was a man in the struggle for his entire life. He wrestled with his brother coming out of the womb. He wrestled with a birthright and a blessing from him as well. Jacob psychologically wrestled with his father out of a gift that was not, not, uh, not even for him. And he wrestled with his own father-in-law over issues of fairness in his whom to whom he would be married to and even in livestock. Jacob knew how to get his way. This is where we find Jacob. He's leaving his father-in-law's estate and he's heading back home after many years being away. And he's thinking he's heading back, I believe, into a place where there's great potential for great hostility and relational rifts if you will. Deception, resistance, impatience, and struggle, do these sound like words you would expect associated with a man who would not only become the namesake for a myriad of, a myriad of people of Abraham, remember all the stars in the sky, but would also make it into the genealogy of Messiah? I mean, can you imagine? We, we can all be so thankful that the Son of God has broken people that are part of his family line. Because that means, guess what? You and I can be part of the family line. Sometimes in the very, uh, sometimes what we overcome is the very sign and signal that God is with us. God is with us, and that's what we're talking about, that Jesus is with us, working all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It is in overcoming we become signs of grace, that unmerited favor, that that gift we should have never received. But why did Jacob struggle? Why do we struggle? Jacob's greatest opponent, as we read at various points in his life, was fear, was fear. At, at, At the... At the ford of the Jabbok, Jacob sends his family, his herds, and his flocks ahead of him. Why does he do that? He does it because he's afraid. He's afraid of what will be ahead of him. He has no idea at that point what was right there with him. And alone in his fear of his facing his brother Esau, he spends a night in a wrestling match with a figure he seems to understand and we come to understand to be God. Uh, God, yeah, he wrestles him. Uh, I don't know how many, how many were in wrestling. Yeah, yeah, you know what it is, that wrestling match, right? 
It's, it's, it's grand. Jacob will then eventually name this place after the evening is done, Peniel, which means the face of God. I have come and I have seen and have wrestled with the face of God. This, this close quarter, life-transforming match is over and, Israel, or, and Jacob will be given a new name, a new name. But what's the remedy for fear? Scripture tells us it's found in, Scripture tells us in 1 John 4.18, it is love. It's love. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. But the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Jacob feared because like us, he struggled. I think he struggled with love. With love. He, he must have found, found it hard to love others because he felt so unloved and maybe so unfavored himself. In fact, one other way you can kind of call Jacob is he was a taker. That's kind of where takers are born. They're always looking to provide something for themselves that only God can give. And so they're going to grab and grasp and wrestle for it for their lives until finally, well, either they surrender or they don't. That's what happens. And perhaps that's exactly what happened. Jacob that night was uh, as much overcome by the love of God than he was by the man of God, right? Humbled by love, having met God in the midst of his deepest fear, overpowering love left him with a limp of humility, if you will, as a memento of the experience he went through. Paul was the same way, overcome by love on that Damascus road. Jesus also wrestled in the Garden of Gethsemane. However, he knew, this is the difference, he knew the, he was beloved and he could freely love because of that inter, intercontentment and understanding of who God was and what God had called him to be and to do. Our Messiah, knowing his family mind, how could fear corrupt or disorient a soul? He steps in and and. He lives in a way that demonstrates that he was not afraid. And because of that, and because of what Christ not only did in a stable one day, but because of what he did at a cross and the empty grave, we too can live into his love. We don't have to hide in shame or deception or play trickery games. But we can live in his love. Now the story of Jacob who would later become Israel is one of the most fascinating stories in the Bible. And I love scripture because it does not gloss over like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all the other things that we tend to find ourselves about the humanity, about our humanity. It pulls no punches and it doesn't with Jacob either. He's a manipulator from birth. He's marked with these stories, and they kind of, when we read them, and not only his story, but multiple stories throughout Scripture, are like, really? This is the one God loves? <laughs> right? This is, this, is a God, this is a man after God's own heart? We kind of puzzle. 
we puzzle. But the story's found in this, in this place where a wrestler stops wrestling and rests, stops resisting and surrenders. So he meets God. Jesus comes from a people who change, from a people who change. Uh, Jacob's name will uh, become and does become Israel after that encounter. And his name becomes a a name for the entire people group from whom Jesus then uh, finds himself into. Can you see that? The name Israel, right? Israel means the one who, the group or one who wrestles with God. A whole people group, right? But there's something about what transpires in this interaction between Jacob and God that speaks to us is that when we when we well when we repent which is that gift that God gives us uh, to a very people who often resist God's grace when we when we repent we are then seen and found in grace it's a beautiful thing we get to change uh, we are second chancers, if you will. Those of who, is, who have raised our hand and said, yes, Jesus. Yes, yes. He comes to us in that place of resistance, right, where we want to push off, where when we have been, been spent and broken, and he empowers us by his very spirit to change, and he reveals to us how we can change. We're reminded in James chapter 4, verse 6, that he, he, God, gives grace to the humble, right? He empowers them. And we can become, if you will, surrendered and submitted like Jesus throughout his entire life as we rest in him. But Jesus leads us to be a people of transformation. In the New Testament, we see it. Uh, see God take the extra step and supply an extra measure of abounding grace. He comes to us as a person in Jesus, in our weakness and in our temptations. In fact, in Hebrews, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, therefore, since we have a great high priest, Jesus, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who has who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted every way, just as we are. And yet he did not sin. Jesus knows us, finds his way into our family. We find our way back into his family line, but he finds us up into a family line, and he desired to be with us. He touches lepers and transforms them when he's here, right? He he spends, uh, spends time at a table with tax collectors and other sinners and dispenses his grace on them. He desires to be with us, the very broken. I still am very much blown away that God wants to be with me. I don't think there's a week that goes by, friends, that I don't go, whoa. You really want to be with me after what just, right? Or what? Really? 
He does. Grace is hard to grasp, even though it's what we swim in every single day when we live in him. Because Jesus, God with us, and man, he wants to be with us. But how does this transformation take place? Scripture tells us, at least in one place, that Christ becomes God in us. Uh, Colossians 1, 27 says this, to them, God has chosen, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery. And this mystery is is Christ in you, the hope of glory, which is the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jacob, in our story, was full of fear because he had a past, an equally dark present, if you will, as he was facing it. And it was surely catching up with him. Maybe you can... Uh, attest to this. He wrestles God at the ford at the Jabbok, but Jacob's past was not his future, nor is our past our future. It never is when we humble ourselves before God. We can be people who are transformed from glory to glory in the presence of God. Transformed people carry that that testimony, that life statement, if you will. God can. Just as Mary said, nothing's impossible with you, we stand in the same place, if you will, that nothing is impossible with you. God can. In a world where maybe others say you can't, God says you can. So what do we take away from the story? That the people of Israel, the someones from whom Jesus comes from, knew both great faith and great fear throughout their story of walking with God. And as we recognize that Jesus comes to us from a people who are both equal parts of faithful and faithless, let me ask this. Can you take courage knowing Jesus is very familiar with your stumbling heart? I mean, think about it. Does he give you a discomfort that he knows you or do you take comfort that he knows you he knows me he knew Jacob and Jacob wrestles with God changing his name he knows our fallible nature of our humanness Yet, God not only wanted to change Israel, or Jacob's name to Israel, but he also, Jesus willingly comes to our rescue in these days, as a, and we celebrate that baby born, but that king who died. So let me ask this. How has Jesus' love met your fear and transformed you? How has he met your fear? You see... Either we're motivated by fear or we're motivated by love. There are no other motivating factors in our lives. So, uh, how has Jesus' love met your fear and transformed you? And is there fear that you're holding on to that you could surrender to Jesus without wrestling resistance with God? You know it. 
in your relationships, in your job, in life in general? Do you feel like you're running as if you're out of breath? Not because you're running too fast, but because somebody's you think is after you is going to get you. Oh. God's encounter with Jacob was an encounter of love. Not a, I gotcha. It was an encounter of liberation. It was an encounter of opportunity to freedom. Hmm. What do you want God to do in you, in you through your wrestling this past year? So as we end and we come to a close of one year and move into the next. For many of us, this becomes place. This be, can become a place where we put down landmarks, where we can say yes to God and move in His direction. Stop wrestling with the things in the past and allow ourselves to be liberated to His love in the future. What is that? What is it that keeps creeping back up? in this last year, and maybe it's been longer than that, but this year, you need to leave it, leave it into 2022, so you move into 2023, ready to take on what God desires for you. How do we do that? Well, we do that by being vulnerable with God, not that he does not already know. <laughs> he knows, just as he knew Jacob, but being vulnerable by speaking it, writing it, or sharing it with somebody else. See, the faster we cry out for help, the faster he comes to our aid. The faster he comes to us. But if you continue to, re- to, to, to desire to wrestle, and there are some places we might find ourselves in similar spots as Jacob, Wrestling with God may mean we come away with a limp, but that limp simply is a marker that we have learned humility and the journey marked by grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that your son, our Savior, the Messiah, was born into a people. Those people that we often refer to as Israel, He entered in, leaving behind everything into our humanness while being fully divine, and it's a mystery we'll take with us. But, Father, we are grateful. But I would contend that most of us in the room, if not all of us in the room, have wrestled or are wrestling with something. So whether, Father, you want to wrestle with us or father you want to lead us into surrender father that is your desire so lord we come to you uh, wanting you to speak into us free us liberate us from the from the names and the games that we play amen